0: Today is found in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. It's also on page 944 in the Black Bibles. Please stand as we read this together. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You can be seated. am just going to pray for Pastor Jonathan this morning, and we will get into the Word. Lord, thank you for this man. Thank you for the work that you continue to do in him and through him as he comes each week to give us the insights that you have given him to share with us lord the holy spirit is in us let it um, help us to see things in new ways this morning as we hear this passage we hear what you have given jonathan to say give him courage and give him boldness lord give us uh, hearts to hear and eyes to see and ears to receive it. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, guys. We're trekking along here in Romans uh, chapter 8. And so what we're going to do is we're going to focus our concentration this morning on, on these two verses. And what we're going to do is we're going to see this idea of our weakness as it relates to prayer. And so this morning, we're going to talk about you and me the Holy Spirit within us, and the way the Holy Spirit helps us as we think about prayer. So we find ourselves in the Christmas season, right? And so what comes along with Christmas season? Christmas movies. And during the Christmas season of Christmas movies, one of the popular movies that you're going to find on repeat is A Christmas Story. All right? And so if you flip over to the next one, inside The Christmas Story, what you have is Good old Ralphie, right? Horn-rimmed glasses, blonde hair, blue eyes, and he is consumed by getting one present. You guys remember what it is? What's the one thing that he wants? He wants the old Red Ryder pump-action model 1938 Red Ryder BB gun, right? And so if you've seen the movie, this is the longing of his heart. The whole movie seems to culminate and swirl around the desire of ralphie in his heart his longing to be able to lay hold of the red Riber, lever action bb gun the movie does a great job of building this up along the way everything seems to point forward to that one christmas morning right is ralphie going to get that bb gun we're wondering along with him and just the different plot lines and the way they weave these things together and you come down to Christmas morning, he has to wear that unfortunate pink bunny suit. But then eventually what happens is he does get to lay hold of that Red, that red Ryder BB gun. And so for many of us, we watch that movie. We enjoy watching that movie. It's just fun. There's just a lot of nostalgia that comes from watching a movie like A Christmas Story. That's why many people love it. But what that movie does best is it highlights the simple joy of a child as they eagerly long for Christmas morning. They just have that longing and that desire in their heart and they're just yearning and just eagerly waiting for that Christmas morning. And there's just that joy that comes with that child looking for that particular present that comes under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. And so in similar fashion, as we've been working our way through Romans chapter 8, we saw last week that God's children are doing the exact same thing. They've got this longing as they're eagerly waiting for the reward to get the inheritance of their future glory. God's children have the hope of future glory, and as they wait patiently in the thick of present suffering, they are yearning their longing their desiring the holy spirit within them is stirring up these groanings as they groan inwardly waiting for the full and final adoption as sons and daughters of god waiting for the full completion of the redemption the redemption of their bodies and just as a child eagerly longs for christmas morning god's children are doing the exact same thing they're longing to experience the fullness of future glory and Paul, ever since verse 17, where we took pause and we concentrated heavily on this idea of suffering and inheritance, and then we saw last week this idea of we live in a world, we live in the, in the middle of creation, creation which is suffering from futility, it's in bondage to corruption, it's experiencing pain, pain like the pain of childbirth. We find ourselves groaning just as creation is groaning as we're living out this present world of suffering. But what happens in those seasons of life when the sufferings of this present time loom large? We saw last week that believers, children of God, have a hope in the midst of present suffering. It's the hope that God is going to do and God is going to accomplish what He said He's going to accomplish in us. But we said that in no way negates the reality that while we're living here, living life here and now, that our hope of future glory doesn't somehow negate the reality of just present suffering, of the pain that we experience and witness in this, in this life. And so as Paul continues on to verses 26 and 27... He begins to start to think about questions like this. What what happens for a believer? What happens for a child of God in those particular seasons of life when the sufferings of this present time loom so large and they become so intense that you and I begin to lose sight of our future glory? See, believers know that this world has been broken by sin and to live in a world that is broken by sin is to know and experience weakness. There are moments when we do not know what to think. There are moments when we don't know what to say. There's just moments in life where we're just caught up in the weakness and the inability to be able to, to think and act and to speak and we just don't know what to do in any given particular moment. There are just moments when we come to the end of ourselves and we have no more answers. We're we're not clever anymore. We don't have any systems. We don't have any structures. We've tried everything that we know. And there we are in the midst of life. Life is happening to us. Suffering, pain, weakness has just landed right there in our laps. And we're just standing there with shoulders shrugged and palms lifted up going, I just don't have an answer for this right now. I just don't know how to think about this right now. I don't know how to speak about this right now. And the only thing that we know to do, the only thing that we know for certain in any given moment is that we just have a simple need for God to show up. See, it's in moments like these that the natural inclination for the child of God is to pray, to go to God, to start to talk to God in prayer. But often we even find ourselves incapable of being able to even do that. Our weakness in life even extends to the realm of prayer. And for many of us, this weakness is just sort of the air we breathe. It's just familiar to us. The one thing that is natural to me in that moment of weakness when life is just happening to me, pain and suffering, the, the thing of this just sort of like the air of breathe, talking to God, we just sort of stand and find ourselves just paralyzed, not even being able to know what to speak or to say, to do, not even knowing how to... Pray and what to pray as we ought in that moment. So the question I think for our text this morning, as we as we zoom in and we concentrate specifically on verses 26 and 27, comes down to this this question. In these moments of weakness, when we find ourselves wanting to pray, but we have no words to pray with, when life lands in your lap, when weakness becomes your friend, moves into the spare bedroom of your house, and you just stand there not knowing what to think, what to say, what to do, the question, I think, just boils down to this simple, this simple phrase, what do God's children need to know in that moment of life? What do we need to know? I think the answer is this, that when we are weak in prayer, the answer to our weakness is the Spirit's help in prayer. The Spirit's help in prayer is the answer to our weakness in prayer. So when we find ourselves weak because of suffering in this life and we just are being inundated with futility and decay and corruption and we just don't know what to do, we don't know what to speak and we just find ourselves just unable to utter words back to God and we just keenly become aware, acutely aware of our complete inability to be able to even utter words to God in prayer. What do we do in that situation? Paul answers that question with these two verses. He says when you are weak in prayer, you're not lost, you're not without hope. Why? Because you have Hope, you have an answer, and the answer is this, that when you are weak in prayer, the Spirit steps in who is mighty and powerful in prayer, and He is interceding on your behalf. That's the main point this morning. The Spirit's help in prayer is the answer to our weakness in prayer. Paul's going to break this down in two ways. We're going to see this in verses 26 and 27. We're going to see this, the believer's weakness in prayer, and we're going to see the Spirit's help in prayer. Believers' weakness in prayer and the Spirit's help in prayer. So go ahead and open up your copy of Scripture. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 26. And the first thing we're going to look at is this. The believer's weakness in prayer. Look at the first part of verse 26. Paul writes this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In our weakness, we do not know what to pray for as We ought the believers' weakness in prayer. So, for the children of God, our present reality is marked by one of weakness. Okay, so for Paul, our weakness presents itself in at least two ways. So, when we think about weakness, we try to wrestle with this idea. When Paul says, In our weakness, we as the children of God are weak, What, what exactly is Paul trying to say there? And I think he's saying at least two things. The first thing we can know about our weakness is this, that as we experience the sufferings of this present time, we come to know our weakness. The pain of suffering in this life that we experience has a way of magnifying just how truly weak we really are. So we can become so overwhelmed with sin, so overwhelmed with suffering, overwhelmed with affliction, overwhelmed with pain and hurt, that it brings us to the place where we just do not know what to pray for as we ought. This pain of suffering and of just experiencing the the sinful fallenness of creation, it produces a kind of heart paralysis that becomes so severe that it leaves us oftentimes in this place of just helpless indecision. I mean, surely you've been there before where just something just so shocking happens, something so, so mind-blowing happens, this just this unexpected thing of suffering and hurt just lands in your lap, and instead of going, I know exactly what to do in this moment, you're just standing there. You just feel helpless, and you, and all you know is indecision. That pain of suffering just punches you in the gut so hard it comes in so fast that it literally leaves you and I unable to speak anything that sounds like a prayer in that moment. In this sense, God's children know weakness very, very intensely. But see, weakness is not only to be seen through the lens of present suffering in this world... But we can also know our weakness just as we experience our finiteness. The fact that we're not infinite. The fact that we have limitations. See, this kind of weakness is not necessarily the weakness of suffering and pain, but it's just merely the weakness of knowing our limitations as human beings. See, you and I are not God, we do not know all things. And our inability to know God's will perfectly in any given situation only goes to magnify our weakness. So there's just times and seasons and moments of life where it's not necessarily affliction and suffering and persecution as we associate with Christ. It's just the weakness of going, do I buy this house or do I not buy this house? Do I rent or do I buy? Do I move to another state and take this job or do I stay? Do I buy this car or do I buy that car? Which college am I supposed to choose? Should I marry this man? Should I marry this woman? Are we ready to start a family? Where am I supposed to invest my money? I don't want to be schnookered. I don't want someone to come and steal my money. When am I going to retire? Should I retire? Can I retire? Who's going to care for me when I get older? See, those aren't necessarily the questions of just extreme pain and suffering that that comes from from being in this present time. But those are just weaknesses that become magnified because when those moments, when we ask questions like this, what we're doing is we're just bumping right smack dab into the limitations that we have as human beings because we just are not God. We don't know his will perfectly. See, the enormity of the decision coupled with the reality that we don't know all things also has a way to bring about that heart paralysis which renders us unable to pray, to pray as we ought. Do I buy this house or not? I don't know. Like if I do, maybe, and I don't, and there's this variable, and what happens, and if, and if, and what. And then we just spin and spin and spin and spin, and and what we do is we just get caught up in the midst of our weakness not knowing what to pray or how to pray as we ought. See, when we read this first first phrase, this first portion of verse 26, where Paul writes that in our weakness we do not know what to pray for as we ought, Paul wants us to see our weakness, and he specifically, more narrowly, wants us to see our weakness as it relates to prayer. But we have to remember that this is not an encouragement to give up on prayer. See, prayer is a part of the Christian life, and when we feel that we have no words to pray, we do not need to feel that we cannot pray. Hope is not to be lost, to recognize our weakness in prayer. It's not an invitation to think, well, I'm weak and I don't know what to pray for as I ought, so I might as well just not do it. No, that's not what Paul said. Paul, taking our weakness More narrowly, our weakness in prayer. And as he puts it in front of our face, this isn't some exercise in futility. He's not doing this to discourage us from prayer. Romans 8 is pure, unadulterated encouragement for the life of the believer. And when he's lifting up weakness, your weakness and my weakness, and putting it in front of us, he's doing so as a means of encouragement because he wants us to see something. The heartbeat of the child of God is prayer. And in those moments when we find ourselves acutely aware of our inability to pray as we ought to pray... Paul turns like a door, turns on its hinge, and he spins right into the moment, the reality of encouragement when he says, Listen, in those moments when you keenly, acutely are aware of your inability in prayer, you need to know that you and I have an advocate. We have a a help. We have an advocate in prayer. It's the Spirit Himself who steps in in those moments and helps us in our weakness. See, we have to remember that the answer to our weakness in prayer is this, the Spirit's help in prayer. The Spirit's help in prayer. It's true, you and I are weak in prayer, but the answer to our weakness in prayer is the Spirit's help in prayer. (laughs) Look at the end of verse 26. And look at verse 27 in your copy of Scripture. So Paul writes, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit himself steps in in those situations and he helps us into verse 26 as he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That is how he helps us. The help is his intercession. Okay. He helps us. How do you help us, Holy Spirit? This is how I help you. I help you that when you do not know what to pray for as you ought, I, in that moment, me, the Spirit himself, I'm interceding for you with groanings too deep for words. Further, verse 27, he who searches hearts, that's God, so God knows what the mind of the Spirit is saying in those moments. Why? How can God know ...what the Spirit is saying in that moment when He's interceding for us with groanings too deep for words... ...it's because of this reason, end of verse 27. The Spirit is the one who intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the Spirit's help in prayer. So when it comes down to the difficult business of prayer... ...the Spirit helps us in our weakness and He does this as He intercedes for us in prayer... So when you zoom in on that one little word towards the front end of verse 26, that word helps. It's a very, very unique word. It's only found two times in Scripture here. And the other time it's found is back in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 40, in the midst of the conversation where Martha and Mary are serving Jesus. Jesus and the disciples show up in their village. Martha welcomes welcomes Jesus into the home. Mary chooses the path to sit and listen to Jesus, but Martha was distracted with what? Serving. Okay? She was prepping. She was cooking. She was getting things situated for Jesus, Jesus and the disciples, maybe other guests that are in the home. So she's spinning like a whirling dervish. She's just going around and around and around in the house. But in the end, the task was more than she could handle on her own. She needed some help. She needed Mary to pitch in and bear the burden with her. So what does Martha do? Martha turns, looks to Jesus, sort of, you can just picture it in your mind's eye with a look of exasperation. Like, Mary's just sitting there at your feet. Jesus, I'm prepping, I'm cooking, I'm cleaning, I'm wiping, I'm setting the table, I'm putting out the cups, I'm getting the drinks, I'm just doing all these things. She looks at Jesus and Martha says to Jesus, you need to tell Mary to help me. And there's that word help. I need someone to to come along and bear this burden with me. And it's this word help in Luke 10 that we find here in verse 26... And what Paul is saying here is that the Spirit helps us. He undertakes to lighten our load. Just as Martha needed help from Mary to come alongside her and help her to carry that burden, so we have the Holy Spirit who undertakes, who lives in us to lighten our load. You and I have a heavy burden to bear, and we need a friend to come along and help us in our weakness. See, when we are reduced to helplessness, The Spirit helps us, especially in the task of prayer. The Spirit of God who dwells in us is an ever-present help, and He is there and ready and willing to serve. He is always ready to carry our burden. But how does He do this? He does this by interceding for us. And Paul goes, you've got to know two things about His intercession. It's mind-blowing. It's awesome. It's good news. He intercedes for us in two different ways. The first way He intercedes for us is this. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's one way that the Spirit comes along to intervene on our behalf, to carry our burden for us because we are incapable, unable to carry this burden ourselves. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So as you and I experience our weakness in prayer and just find ourselves groaning, it's in these types of moments that the Spirit just steps in, comes to our aid, and bears that burden for us. We just simply don't know what to do. Our words may fail to formulate into anything that sounds like a prayer, but the Spirit knows full well what to do in those moments. We're just lost. He's not lost. We don't know what to do. He perfectly knows what do. Well, what to do. See, when we can't express a prayer, that situation that you're in right now, where the best thing that you have done in that situation is remotely utter an inarticulate groan in your heart because the seriousness of The gravity, the weightiness of that situation in your world is so intense, so in your face that you're losing sight of everything else. And the best thing that you've done so far is utter and groan this inarticulate longing and desire of the heart what you need to know is that in that moment when we can't even express a prayer or utter a sound the spirit if we can give him a face smiles from ear to ear and with great joy gladly steps into that situation carrying our burden and he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words Simply put, when you and I just cannot find words in which to express our prayer, we can just do no better than make inarticulate sounds. The Spirit takes those sounds and translates them into effective, effective intercession on your behalf. That's good news. That's one way that the Spirit intercedes for us. That's one way that the Spirit helps us. Paul is writing this for your encouragement, but he doesn't stop there. He continues on, not only does the Spirit intercede for you with groanings too deep for words, but you also need to know this, is that the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See, the good news for God's children is that God is the one who searches hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit. God is the one who searches hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit. You see that in verse 27. So God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, that's Galatians 4, and in our weakness, when we can do nothing more than groan in prayer, God searches our hearts and finds the Spirit interceding for us. And it's in these moments when the Spirit intercedes for us, God knows what the mind of the Spirit is saying precisely because the Spirit only does his work of intercession according to the will of God. See, Paul's point is this, is that since the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God, his prayers are always answered. Always answered. And that's awesome. That's good news. Our prayers are not always answered in the way that we'd want because we do not always know what God's will. So there's times when we're praying for certain things, but it's not in line with the will of God, because we just don't know we're not God. We're weak in this way. And so you might be praying and praying and praying, and you're just experiencing the reality of your weakness. And in that moment, you can be tempted to start to just wonder, is prayer effective? Is it good? It feels like my prayers are just hitting the ceilings. And then you just start to groan, and, and you feel those are in, inarticulate longings in your heart as you're just longing to see God move. And all you know in that moment is, God, I need you to show up in this place and you might just draw the conclusion, maybe I'm just a failure in prayer. But the encouragement that Paul is writing here is that in those moments, what's happening is this, is God, who searches the hearts, God, who is omniscient, all-knowing, looks at your heart and goes, man, I see the way John Davis is groaning with inarticulate utterings. He can't even suffer. Oh, I also see in his heart my Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Myself is dwelling in him. I also hear what the Spirit is saying, and I'm going to answer his prayer because, in that moment, when John Davis is on his knees and he can barely utter anything with his mouth, and all he has right now are the groanings of his heart, the Holy Spirit standing there. As our help, as our burden, as our intercessor going, God the Father, let me take what he's saying here in his heart and let me translate to you what's going on. And as he's groaning and as he's moaning the desires and the longings of his heart, I'm going to take them, translate them into the will of God, according to the will of God, and deliver them to heaven on your behalf. Like, that's good news. That's good news. Prayer is not an exercise in self-pity going, God, I don't know how to do this. It's meant for us to awaken to our weakness and go, I need God in this situation. I know nothing right now except this. I need God to show up. And Paul's writing, brother, sister in Christ, the spirit of God dwells in you. Man, this is what Paul has been talking about all through Romans 8 over these past several weeks that we've been studying Romans 8. The Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit lives within you. The Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of God. He's helping. Here are the benefits. Here are the benefits. Here are the benefits. And here we go, rolling out one more benefit, the very Spirit of the living God dwelling in you in those moments when you were just tuckered out and you've got nothing else to give. You're at the end of your rope. You've got nowhere else to go. No more answers to give. In that moment when you're on your knees beside your bed and the most you can do is shed a tear and utter groans in your heart, the Holy Spirit goes, man, I've got this. And it's a joy. No burden for me here. It is a pure and absolute joy for me to intercede on your behalf in this way. So, in light of all of this, how can you and I respond to the reality of the Spirit's help in prayer? This is what Paul's talking about in these two little verses. You and I are weak. There are moments when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But it's in those moments the Spirit helps us in our weakness. How? He intercedes on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. And as He does this, He's doing it according to the will of God. And there stands God who searches all hearts and goes, I see His groanings, I see the Spirit at work, and it is my joy. I'm telling you right now, I know exactly what the Spirit is saying because He is doing this work according to my will. How do we respond to this? reality. There's a bunch of ways we could respond, but this morning I think what God has just pressed on my heart is this, is that you and I must recognize that we never graduate out of weakness. We just never graduate out of weakness. See, for many of us, weakness in prayer is all too familiar, and it is one of the things that bothers us most about our relationship with God. You know your weakness. You look at yourself in the mirror every morning, and the reflection that comes back is this is a brother, this is a sister in Christ, this is a believer who knows weakness. But then, as soon as you lay your finger on that area of weakness in your life, there's just sort of this little feeling that comes up and goes, Man, that's the one thing I hate. I hate the fact that I'm weak in this area. So, we struggle in prayer, we're bad at prayer. Most times we don't know what to say in prayer. We know we're weak, and we just simply don't like the fact that we are weak. So when we read passages like Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, concerning our weakness in prayer, we can run the risk of misreading what Paul is saying about our weakness if we are not careful. So when Paul talks about our weakness in prayer, he's not bringing up the topic as some point of condemnation. How dare you? How dare you be weak, you subpar Christian? When are you going to ever arise to my level, the great apostle Paul? You're weak. You shouldn't be weak. It's not as if this is some call to wake up, to grow up, to get our act together, and to stop relying so heavily on the Holy Spirit. Hey, the Holy Spirit's doing this job for you, but he doesn't really like it. Can you just please get to the place where he can go on and do some other things in your life to where he doesn't have to intercede on your behalf according to the will of God? When are you going to move from JV to varsity squad? Start doing some things on your own. Paul's not saying that. See, when Paul points out our weakness in prayer, this is not a call to somehow mature ourselves beyond this point of weakness. Instead, Paul is leading us to recognize our weakness so that we can embrace our weakness and as we do so, experience the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. This is what he's doing. See, from beginning to end, the Christian life is God's power made perfect in our weakness. And this includes our weakness in prayer. And I know of no better place that illustrates the power of weakness than when Paul talks about his ministry in 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. Well, I just don't know what else to do, but I'm just going to, I want you just to turn on your ears and I want you to listen to how Paul describes his physical weakness how he describes his emotional weakness, and when he does the two, he says, I started praying in a certain way, but when I started praying in a certain way, God, take this weakness away. I don't want this weakness. I don't want it. Remove it. Pull it away from me. God steps in, answers that prayer in a way that we might not expect. See, Paul writes this, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, Five times I received the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, "...through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." So he says, "...here I am, serving Christ, and all I know is weakness." Physical weakness. All these things are happening to me, and it's just weakness everywhere. Weakness is the air I'm breathing. And not only do I know full well the experience of physical weakness, but then there's just sort of realm of just this inward emotional weakness that I know. Apart from all these other things, there's just this daily pressure on me. Anxiety. I know an anxiety. I have a desire for the churches, and as I desire these certain longings, For the people of Christ to get and to to learn and to apply and to grow. And it just creates within me this anxiety. I'm anxious for the church. So Paul writes, who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who was made to fall? And I'm not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Then he jumps down a little bit further and he says this. A thorn was given to me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from becoming conceited. So what does Paul do? He turns to prayer. What the children of God do when they're experiencing weakness. Paul describes his weakness as what? A thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. Paul doesn't like it. So what does he do? I'm going to pray. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. God, I really don't want this. Take it away. God goes, no. No, 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 Lord. I'm pleading with you. Make this messenger of Satan. Get out of here. I'm not going to do it. No, I I don't know if you've heard me the first time. I'll grant you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you didn't hear me the second time. But I'm telling you, this third time, I want this thorn in my flesh that is exposing my weakness to disappear. Do it, God. No. I'm not going to do it. So he responded me to this way. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Why? So that this result will come about, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, we often bemoan the reality of our weakness in prayer. And in so doing, we are missing the very power of weakness in prayer. Ray Ortland puts it like this. The Christian life is not getting saved and then doing the best you can after that you and I never graduate out of weakness, even in prayer. And if that is so, then we can freely admit how weak we really are, even in prayer. See, the authentic Christian life is not people who always know what to do and how to pray, but simply people who have the Holy Spirit helping them in their weakness. So right now, some of you are hearing and seeing this gigantic flashing neon sign. You, sir, you, ma'am, are weak. And the tendency of our heart, the sinful tendency in our heart to go, as I see this weakness, and I'm going to do everything in my own power and ability to make sure this weakness disappears. And Paul's going, no, don't do it. Embrace this weakness. For in you embracing this weakness And being content with this weakness, that is when you'll become strong, not strong in and of yourself, not sufficient in and of yourself. But that is when you will come to know the all-sufficiency of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, here's what's going to happen to you tomorrow morning. You're going to get up early. You're going to have a cup of coffee. You're going to stumble to the table, and you're going to open your Bible. One eye is going to be closed. The other eye is going to be half open. You're going to read something from the Bible, most likely not remember what it is, and then you're going to attempt to pray. You're going to struggle with the right words to say. You're not going to be sure of what to pray for. And as you wrestle in prayer for a short time, unable to accomplish that which you desire, this nagging feeling is going to start to gnaw at your very heart. Man, I am awful at prayer. I'm just awful. And it's in that moment that temptation is going to be one of major discouragement in prayer. You're going to think that you are somehow subpar, and you're going to think that you stink as a Christian. You're going to be tempted to draw the conclusion that God is disgusted with you and wants nothing to do with you. Why? Well, isn't it obvious you tell yourself, just look how awful I am at prayer? How could God love somebody like me? I can't even pray And talk to God in the way that I would desire. Who does that? Weak. Weak Christians do that. I don't want to be that way. But it's in this moment that you will find yourself lamenting the fact that you are so awful in prayer. And longing for the day that you shed this weakness once and for all. But in this moment you and I are dangerously close to missing the point of our weakness in prayer. When we come face to face with the weakness of our prayer. This isn't an opportunity for self Rather, this is an opportunity to boast all the more gladly of our weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. It's an opportunity to come alongside Paul and say with him, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, weakness in my prayer, weakness in my inability to be able to carry out what I desire to do in this moment. And when I am weak, then I am strong. Brothers, sisters in Christ, this is it. May we see our weakness in prayer and come to delight in this weakness. May we see that the answer to our weakness in prayer is not more of us. It's not self-sufficiency. It's not turn inward on yourself, get your act together so that way then you can come and present yourself to God and go, look, I know back here last year, last month, last decade, it was really awful in prayer. God, I'm sorry for that, but I've done all these things to make myself better so that I can come and present myself to you as one who is not weak in prayer. No, that is Christless. That is self-sufficiency. The purpose of weakness and prayer in your life is to point you to the all-sufficiency of Christ. That's the good news of the cross. That's the good news of grace. That's the good news of the way the Holy Spirit works within you in prayer. May we see that the answer to our weakness in prayer is not more of us, but it is full reliance upon the Spirit's help in our prayer. God, you are good, you are gracious, you are all loving, you are all satisfying. My hope is that as you work among your people this morning, that you would lead us to the place where we do not flee and attempt to run from the reality of our weakness, the reality of our weakness in prayer, but that we would, in the face of our weakness in prayer, turn and run right to the source, the fountain of grace himself, Jesus Christ. And may we find the all-sufficient power of Christ in that moment, the power of the Spirit of Christ living within us that is our hope and our weakness. The Spirit is the answer to our weakness in prayer. In Christ's name I pray.